at the Advocacy Center to devote so much time. Guerrero goes after the first pitch from Pointer and hits it high in the air to deep left field, up over everything. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. blasting a solo home run into the parking lot here at McCoy Stadium. And the Bisons grab another run. It's now 8-4 Buffalo here in the fourth. Wow. That made a different sound off of his bat. <laughs> South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, what's going on? Welcome to episode 114 of the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. Blue Jays have to be one of the most frustrating teams in baseball if you're a fan of them. But it's all, it's all good. All good. All good things are happening with the Blue Jays because they finally won a series. It took them about three weeks to win a series, but they did it. Joining me today to discuss all things Toronto Blue Jays is the founder and host of Jaybird Watching and the Jaybird Watching podcast, Mr. Craig Borden himself. Craig, what's going on, man? Same old man. Just waiting for this team to finally start hitting it. Uh, we might have finally gotten that today, man. They won a series, Craig. It finally happened. <laughs> Well, you know, even the blind squirrel finds a nut, right? <laughs> Took them six series to win, but they did it. And not only did they do it, they did it on the road. So it's not like it's a little gimme home series. They did it on the road in really shitty weather. Yeah, and then against a team that had been playing really good baseball up until this series, too. So I was I was honestly encouraged if they were going to be able to get a um, split out of this series. But they found a way to do it today, and... Um, Honestly, I think we're going to get into talking about some of these points, but the, the bats are finally starting to wake up. Yeah, yeah, and the pitching has been sort of, it's been a roller coaster, right? And the front end of the rotation has been pretty good. They've had their downsides, but, you know, in general, specifically Shoemaker, they've been pretty good, whereas the back end has been kind of a dart throw. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, but, yeah, I have obviously the complaints of the inconsistency, but this is what we sort of waited for like this is what we sort of anticipated when it came to this team so i can't be too upset but when it comes to like boneheaded errors uh i it leaves me scratching my head is to wonder have these players ever played little league and learned these fundamental aspects of baseball before it, it leaves me very frustrated oh you mean like you just want to make sure that not just one player remembers how many outs there are but both of them involved <laughs> in the play you're getting greedy man am i asking too much <laughs> I think the most in the weirdest thing out of that whole situation, those are guys that have been playing the game in Brandon Drury and Teoscar Hernandez. So it's not like the, you know, 18 year old coming up and, you know, it's not Elvis Luciano forgetting how many outs there are. It's two guys that have been playing major league baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like the, it's not like the count isn't right in front of them on a giant screen that they can't reference from time to time. Um, these are just things that you don't want to see, especially like bloopers in the outfield, not reading balls properly. These are the things that get me really frustrated with this team to give me sort of a, a reality check that they're not going to be nearly as good as I thought, but I still think, and I know you said 80, but I still think in the 78 to 80 win range isn't impossible. I definitely still think that they're going to be right around that number, and it's going to fluctuate, I think, is plus or minus 10 wins, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, it's coming, and we know what's going to happen. This is going to be a different team probably in the next two to three weeks. There's not. I really am going to be shocked if it's just the coming of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I am honestly thinking right now, that this is going to be the coming of the same day as Anthony Alford, hopefully finally taking over a spot in this outfield and kind of pushing things back to the way it should be in the outfield. Brandon McKinney's are, have been all right, but you know, I really still would love to see him platooning in left field with somebody put Gretchen back over right slot Alfred right back into that outfield and make it look like it should. 
All right, well, let's break this all down. Let's break <laughs> down what we got with this Blue Jays team and what we've been experiencing with them for the past week and a half. Um, look, it's not all doom and gloom. They they took one out of two out of the defending World Series champs and last place team in the AL East, the Red Sox. Uh, they took one game out of the best team in baseball record-wise, the Tampa Bay Rays. So they took a game, not bad. And uh, topping it off, like I said, they took three out of four against the Twinkies in the current series. Um, their first win, as I mentioned, in the 2019 se- uh, season, this first series win. Um, couple that with the mishaps that we've been talking about on the base pass and in the outfield. Lourdes getting sent down to Buffalo to work on his defense at second. And Socrates Brito being perhaps the worst player in Blue Jays history. Yeah, it's been weird. So unpacking all of that, you can be as specific as you want. How do you feel about this team? You mentioned that they might be better moving forward, especially with the arrival of Guerrero, whenever that's happening. But do you feel positive about this team thus far? Oh, it's a roll of the dice right now, Adam. <laughs> it, there's not enough consistency. And I think that is the biggest problem with this team. You see it in pieces like today, you know, Grichik, Smoke, and Hernandez were hitting in the lineup, and then you, it leads to a win. You, you got enough out of Clay Buckholz today, and, every, and that's all you need for a win, you know. But all these other games, it, it is. I was talking about this with Bram Hanekar on the Jaybird Watching uh, Wednesday Wallop podcast the other day. And over those series you were just alluding to there, the Blue Jays have only scored like three runs before the seventh inning in those games. It's insane. I don't know how you could expect to win when you are only showing up offensively in the final frames. Yeah, and there are only a couple of members on this team that are producing offensively, like you've mentioned. Uh, Smoke's been killing it, right? In in 54 at-bats so far, he's garnered 10 runs, 14 hits, 3 bombs, 13 ribbies, and a slash line of 259, 420, 463, and an OPS of 883. Yeah, and that's with a ton of walks, which are really taking away hits, right? Is it 13 walks? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, it's not. He's been very good, and Freddie Galvis has been proven thus far. Again, I think you can classify three weeks, three and a half weeks into the season as a quote unquote small sample size. But even still, an outstanding pickup and probably an underrated pickup for this Blue Jays team thus far. Oh, that he's the cornerstone right now. You know, if you had to, what has went right for the Toronto Blue Jays so far this season is the few starting pitchers that have been off to an incredible start and Freddie Galvis. There's not really many people arguing about that point. No, no, it's true. And there was a a time, you know, recently that Randall Graychuk was pretty much up and down, but today it seems like he's getting back in the back in the right direction after hitting a pretty decent home run. Um, I would like to see a little bit. No bat flip. All right. All right. So what, why don't we just get into this? This was the topic that I kind of wanted to spring up on you. Um, it's Blue Jays related, but not really. Um, Tim Anderson yesterday for the White Sox had a pretty epic bat flip or bat toss uh, against the Royals. I love that. I can't get enough of that shit. I love the emotion. I love when players show it. I love when players you know, sort of buck the trend of being robotic and stoic and these unwritten rules of baseball. I think the game is thirsty for more of that. All right. We can get into that and this topic of Greatchuk. Greatchuk took it upon himself on Twitter. And I'm going to quote the tweet. He says, guys are getting a little excessive on pimping home runs on meaningless, meaningless home runs too. act like you've done it before one time. Anderson responded with, put a name on it so we can see who you're talking about, bruh. To which Graychuk responded with, guy, are you really responding to my tweet? Shaking my head. It wasn't intended for anyone specific, but clearly you responding shows you're guilty of something. First of all, I call bullshit. If Tim Anderson never did that yesterday, Graychuk's not making this tweet. And why are you even saying anything at all? I'll make the argument that in some cases it might have been anybody else that Grichik might have made that. <laughs> right. But it was going to happen one way or the other, I think, inevitably, just because, like you said, it's part of the game now. I, me personally, watching that Tim Anderson home run, I didn't have any problem with the, I don't need this bat anymore, was more or less how I saw the bat flip. It was like a dart throw. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, get it out of here. Yeah. 
the fact that he stood there and watched the home run for what felt like 15 fucking minutes, that's what I had a problem with. He's showing up the pitcher at that point. <laughs> I hear that. And a lot of people are saying that it's disrespectful to the game, in which I responded, I don't think it's disrespectful to the game. If anything, it's disrespectful to the pitcher. And if the pitcher feels disrespected, I know this is how baseball has been operated for years, but I think we're at a point in time, and this has nothing to do with being politically correct. I just don't like players acting like goddamn Neanderthals and chucking balls at someone just because they felt shown up. If you want to prove a point, I argue that it's more effective if you just strike the guy out. Yeah, stare the guy down like Ray Holiday always used to do after he walks back to the ball. That's yeah. Shaming out, you know, but... Like I said, I think the biggest problem with that home run, at least if I was standing on the mound, I would have taken offense to it. You yeah. hit the home run, you did the bat flip, get running. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Admiring your, your work, I can see how that'd be disrespectful. I just don't know that it warrants headhunting at that point. Oh, I don't think that that one case, at least with Anderson, would have ever led to a headhunting thing. And I really don't think anything is ever going to come out of this conversation that Grichik's starting up with everybody because it's the same battle that we've been having over the last what five ten years now players have more emotion i i love every minute of it but like i said there is a line there that if somebody might get offended things are going to happen and if it's a ball in somebody's ear or you know somebody pulling a bolt durham and yelling what are you doing get moving dummy yeah. <laughs> you know something <laughs> Honestly, I was more surprised the catcher didn't say something in the midst of that equation with him standing there. Right. And he might have. We just didn't pick up on it with the audio. Right. Um, I don't know. I just think there's this cognitive dissonance between, like, the purists in baseball when they say things like, you know, you have to be straight face, you have to be stoic. But if players like, you know, previous players, they don't even have to be current, but players like Jonathan Papelbon or Jason Grilly or, I don't know, Marcus Stroman, if you want to talk about current players. Uh, these players that show emotions after strikeouts, we love it. And there are no issues with that. No one bats an eye. But for some reason, when it comes to offense at the plate, and you do something with your bat, you're breaking a rule. I just don't see the connection here. Yeah, 100%. But... I don't know. I don't... I really just don't... It's not going anywhere. It's part of the game, and... It's going to keep happening. I just hope it doesn't get to the point where it is just too outlandish, where the guys like make it like a freaking touchdown dance <laughs> or something like yeah. that. And that's completely out. That You deserve a ball in the air if you have some pre preordained routine ready to run off with. <laughs> this is the Overtime Podcast Network. For sure. If you're doing a choreographed dance, I think there's something wrong. But, you know, along the same lines there, there's this conversation that is picking up more and more steam every year of how to fix baseball, quote-unquote. Now, some people think that when it comes to the game itself, the rules, the actual written rules of how the game is played don't need to be altered. I'm talking about, like, pitch clocks. I'm talking about stepping out of the batter's box. I don't think that needs to be touched. But when you look at the, the markets that they're competing with, like the NBA and the NFL specifically, who both of those markets are dominating the ratings in comparison to the MLB, I think it has a lot to do with the personalities. I think it has a lot to do with the connections that they have with their fans. For instance, I know you, you referenced you don't want players when they hit a home run to dance. I agree with you. But I think there's something compelling to a, a viewer to see a nice touchdown run, even if it's at the five yard line, and there's a, some sort of celebration at it at the uh, you know afterwards. Or if you're watching the NBA, no matter how early in the season or no matter how pointless of a game there is, if someone pulls off a pretty kick-ass dunk and like the bench is go erupting or the player like does a little shimmy, there's something compelling about that. There's something that makes a viewer drawn to that. And I think baseball is missing that. And if they had that aspect of players showing emotion, whether it's after home runs or after strikeouts, I think that would contribute to a lot more eyes watching the game. I got one for you. So on that same note, I agree with you, by the way, as far as I think showing some of this emotion, at least a good fist pump, something, you know, great, wonderful, good stuff. How much of this is more of the showing like the Roddy Telez home run a few weeks ago? 
he doesn't do anything crazy on the field other than you see you know him obviously excited rounding first base gets back to the dugout seeds flying players high five and everybody and then he gives that massive like the you flex. Know, muscle yeah. flex <laughs> you know those are the things i wish that they would show more on home runs you don't see that team you know the shenanigans it, baseball's fun, and these guys are still having fun regardless of how much money they are making. You know, those are the kind of things. That dugout home run and that celebration there was, was I thought, was a perfect kind of thing that they don't usually show in a broadcast, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that those type of ingredients in the game have been lacking, and I think baseball, the MLB as an entity, is sort of waking up to this because, ironically enough, yesterday, uh, Hours after the game, MLB, the tw- the official Twitter of MLB, like at MLB, tweeted out, you do you, uh, Tim Anderson, you be you, with the hashtag, let them play. And I like this direction that they're, they're trending towards. Like, this has been an active part of MLB's mission this year to make the game more enjoyable and more attractive to the younger viewers, right? Because that is something that I think is has been lacking over the years. Like, the young kids, these millennials, are saying to themselves, and even the generation following the millennials, are saying to themselves, this game is too boring, it's too long, it's too bland, Whereas if they start showing emotion, if they add some sizzle to the game, I don't think they need to change anything about the rules. I think the unwritten rules are something that they have to re-examine and allow the players to just be them, like humanize the game a little bit. Yeah, how much of this goes back to the like stuff that we were talking about uh, that we've heard around with like David Price saying that and all these other players saying that they do a horrible job compared to other sports marketing their stars. 100%. Mike Trout is unheard of on this side of the country. I'm sorry. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they don't do a lot to push their stars. Like you see, if we're comparing this to the ML, I mean, sorry, the NBA or the NFL, you see players like LeBron James or, or James Harden or Chris Paul in these commercials and they're showing personality, right? They're showing their comedic side. And same thing with the NFL, like Antonio Brown with his uh, Madden commercials are funny. Or like Marshawn Lynch with the Skittles commercial. Those are funny. Like there's something to be said about how they're showing this human side and how relatable they are, right? The game in and of itself, you may find more exciting or whatever. That's fine. You have the right and entitlement to that opinion. But to say that these players, these unwritten rules that the players have to be just blank robots I don't understand how that's going to connect new fans to the game. Yeah. Uh, You can only see so many Justin Verlander Flonase commercials. (laughs) 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 So maybe, but that's all you ever see on regular everyday TV, right? You don't see anything out there. I miss the, like, even when I was in Toronto visiting and stuff like that, buddy, I remember watching commercials and you see Frank Thomas deck a kid with a pillow and the kid goes flying across the room, <laughs> you know, or Roy Holiday skipping a rock across the pond and it goes dink, dink, dink. And all of a sudden you see a boat sinking in Lake Ontario. It's, you know, yeah. where the hell's the fun in this? You know, baseball is a weird game. There's not, you don't even see anybody doing like a freaking hot foot or anything like that mm-hmm. in the dugout anymore. Other than like the, you know, casual little bubble gum, uh, bubble on somebody's hat. There is so much stuff that no typical fan sees unless you're really looking for it and they should be having i honestly they should just be using the cut for people from the twitter feed and stuff for social media for mlb.com as the main marketing for major league baseball and they would insanely duplicate what the uh nba and nfl and all of them are doing yeah i i agree and i think that when you examine the the high profile players in baseball history right you you look at someone like Babe Ruth like yes the talent is unmatched yes Babe Ruth is the god of baseball this is like I'm not taking anything away from his talent but imagine if he had the talent without the personality would we still idolize Babe Ruth like a lot of the things that made Babe Ruth so this immortal figure was how fun he was how relatable he was how great he was to the kids and just how much of a big kid he was in and of himself now imagine if you remove that element of his personality away and he's just a great baseball player yeah we would still talk about him but i think a huge element of what attracts us to babe ruth would be 
sorely missing. Yeah, and it's not like you got the flip side of the coin where you're like the quote-unquote villain like Ty Cobb or something like that, but it gets somebody lost in the shuffle. Like, if you take all that stuff like you were just alluding to with Babe Ruth away from him, you get Honus Wagner. Yeah. The only people, the casual fan might know Honus Wagner because of the baseball card. Exactly. Thing, and then that's it. Yeah. You know, and imagine if like these unwritten rules were like tantamount in the game. Imagine the Jose Bautista moment. Would that be nearly as memorable without that bat flip? I, I argue no. I can't even even think about it without that because it was just the fact even when Joe Carter hit his home run, just him, you could see him hit that home run. He took two steps and he was flying off the ground higher than I can jump in him about you know any my best day of my life. <laughs> he know? almost missed first. Yeah, freaking um, I forget who the first base coach was. Uh, but he was like, "Come on, come on!" He's trying to like get him to like calm yeah, down touch for him. five seconds to touch first. <laughs> that is why Tom Cheek said touch them all. Yes. Because he literally was so excited he almost missed first. So, like, the, when you were, imagine that moment without that call. Imagine that Blue Jays moment without Tom Cheek saying, touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger one in your life. And that's, um, if you're ever trying to be an announcer, kids, there's one of your staples that you got to add into your, uh, you know, wonderful everyday plethora of good broadcasting. It, 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 it's historic, and if you don't have those kind of moments, and they have been a lot in baseball, man. You know, we're only a few weeks into the se- season, and watching what the, the Milwaukee Brewers and whatnot are doing, I wish and I could hear more of Bob Uecker's calls for some of those games. And those are all things that should be slapping me in the face every day when I go on Twitter with MLB.com's, you know, hashtags and everything like that. And all I keep hearing is the same kind of crap you hear every damn day. It's like, okay, this happened. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, to put a bow on this conversation, I think that the MLB is trending in the right direction. I think they are, they're not blind to this. And if they were, I don't think they would ever tweet from their official Twitter. I think there's something huge to be said about that from their official Twitter pretty much glorifying the moment, right? And and yes, there was somewhat of a brawl afterwards in in Can- the Kansas City and Chicago game. I get that, but I don't think that's what they're glorifying. I think they're glorifying is, yes, we need more of this. We need more of this to attract young fans. And if that's going to happen, I don't understand why baseball players, these purists, these old school mentality players or managers or whatever, would you know, shun this if it's going to make them more money in the end. No, it's it's having Ken Griffey Jr. without all the extras. No Nike commercials, no Ken Griffey Jr. baseball video games, no nothing. You know, it's just no backwards hat. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Imagine somebody telling Ken Griffey Jr. to turn his hat around. He, he, he did his Hall of Fame speech with his hat on backwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it would, I'd have to do my research, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was some pushback about him doing that during batting practice. I'm sure oh, there I'm was. Sure. Yeah. Especially, but, but his dad was right there. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, you know, good call. And he was a well-respected player. But yeah, I, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts regarding this. No, I, they have work to do. But I like you said with that tweet, it definitely is uh, saying something in the direction of what we're go- talking about here. All right, let's keep it rolling. I do want to talk about Lourdes Gurriel and how he got demoted. Um his defense at second base has been awful, and I'm not going to hide from that. It seems as though he completely lacks any sense of confidence at that position, and he, his throws have just been absolutely horrible. Think Josh Donaldson game one last year throwing from third base to first. That bad. Maybe even worse. Um, they demoted him to Buffalo to refine his skills at second base, but here's the kicker. He's been down there for, I think, four or five games now. He has yet to play a single game at second. He's been DHing. So this screams mismanagement. This screams square peg round holing someone that is a natural shortstop and transitioning him to second just out of necessity because they do have a Freddie Galvis and they have a Bo Bichette waiting in the in the wings. What do you make of this? Do you consider Lotus Gurriel Jr part of the Jays' long-term plans? Or do you consider this a message maybe to other teams from the Blue Jays saying, hey, we're listening about Gurriel? I I still think there's way too much talent with Gurriel. And I honestly think he can be a second baseman 
it's just going to take some work. And I do think that he's going to have to become a second baseman to be a part of the Blue Jays system. And I think a lot of that is just because Kevin Biggio does have the flexibility and is plus at all those other positions. But I, I just don't see where Gurriel, I don't see him as an outfielder, even though I think he is athletic enough to do it. I don't think he's going to stand out where he could be a really good second baseman. He's just got to get over this Chuck Knoblocking thing that is going on, man. I don't, he can't make that throw to first base on the casuals. He need, it's like he needs that adrenaline to be able to turn around and rifle it to be able to get to first base. As far as the mismanagement thing goes, though, I don't know if, how much you watched of his swings his typical at-bats and everything so far this season, he's a mess at the plate, too, just as much as he's been in the field. And I think the idea was he can get one thing right here first before he has to start working on the other. Do you consider his slumping in the offensive side to be a result of his slumping in defense? In other words... Like I mentioned, I feel like the Jays were square peg round holing him at second. He's playing this unnatural position, and he's sort of doing it, like I mentioned, out of necessity. And when you have all these errors, like literal on-paper errors of Lourdes throwing to first, it's going to be it's natural that this is going to stick with him. It's going to be something that he's going to stew on. Yeah, the professionals, the the, the you know, the players that have been in the game for a long time can sort of shimmy that away. But I feel like someone as young as him probably has a difficult time not letting that bother him. And I'm worried that it's bleeding into the plate. And I think that was part of the argument about letting him just go at the plate with the DH spots. He has looked better in his bat at bats I've seen so far in Buffalo on the uh, minor league TV thing. But and, and I remember them saying he was going to DH probably for about a week before they started taking you know normal reps during games anyways, I'm sure he's crushing the heck out of it off on the side fields and stuff, you know, not during game time, trying to get all those little fine little things done. Right. They were telling me during the, or I was listening during the broadcast right before he got demoted. He's been on the field before games, cr- just repetitive tosses, toss, 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 toss. And he was like perfect for like 50 tosses. And then all of a sudden the lights turn on and you get what we had in those first couple, you know, those last couple of games there where he got demoted. It's insane. Yeah, I just worry that this is going to fuck with his confidence and like this is going to be something that he's going to stew over. I really hope he doesn't. I really hope that this is something that he can uh, learn from and build off of because you're right. There is, besides Biggio, there is a noticeable hole in depth at second base. Um I don't think Sogard is a long-term solution. Like It makes you uh, happy that they have this sort of insurance policy for the time being, especially because Devin Travis is pretty much gone for the foreseeable future, and I don't know if he has much of a future with the Jays anyway. So I I just hope that they give him all the time he needs. It's just difficult to have a uh, $3 million-plus player down in the minors to work on a second-base position. Yeah, and one of the only guys is actually legitimately signed-signed for next season, too. (laughs) Right, right. Um, I want to say he's the only one committed besides Graychuk. Correct, now. Uh, well, if you count to Lewinsky. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. But I, I think it's coming. I, I think this is still a very talented, raw player. You got his first season in our system, man. He was hurt all the time and didn't really ever get really settled in. So last year was really his first full season, if I'm correct. Yeah. So this is a guy that has still got his back carried him to the majors last season. And we got to see all the benefits of what his lumber can do when he's right. So now we got to find a home for him because he doesn't have a place at shortstop. I didn't think they were going to give him that job anyways, but I would have liked to seen what would have happened before, you know, you have thrown Boba Shett into this conversation because now we know Boba Shett is going to stick at shortstop. And I don't really think you can change my mind on that. Watching what I've seen from Boba Shett at shortstop has been nothing short of seeing a everyday shortstop that can hit very, very well. And maybe long ways, he's a position switch, but I'm not messing with him one second right now. But And you got somebody like Loris Gurriel Jr. that hasn't really stood out, even at shortstop when he played. He had plenty of errors last year at shortstop, too. I'm glad you mentioned Tulowitzki, um, and you probably did this uh, unintentionally, but uh, Bobachet really reminds me of a young 
in his prime in Colorado, Troy Tulowitzki, the way he fields that ball. Yeah, and he got to hang out with him probably way too much when his dad was uh, yeah. Yeah. the uh, hitting coach for the Rockies for a couple of years there. But if he was going to learn from somebody, really, Troy Tulowitzki is one of the, until all these recent injuries over the last five years or so, he was the best shortstop, hands down, in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I think there was a time where Reyes was challenging for that, like when Reyes was in his prime in New York. But otherwise, I think Troy Tulowitzki was head and shoulders the best shortstop in all of baseball. Um I don't know. This is a very peculiar thing that the Blue Jays are doing. I understand the merit behind it. I understand that they they want to protect their asset because I do think they view Guriel as part of their future. Now, how long that future is with them, I don't know. That remains to be seen. Like we said, we do have Biggio coming up in the minors uh, and Bo Bichette. But I don't know. This timing is kind of poor because there is a Guriel bobblehead day on the 24th so <laughs> chances are he won't be on the club when that bobblehead is released yeah but like i said i think it is coming and i think he is going to be a very very good major league baseball player the catches it might not be with the blue jays long term with all these other prospect talents that we do have guriel's lumber is going to give him good trade value regardless of this position thing going on because we know what he can do at the plate. But as of this season so far, there was too many things going wrong, buddy. So something had to change, and it had to be him going to Buffalo to just get everything on pace. It really wouldn't shock me if he's back up here in a few weeks. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's keep it rolling. I do want to bring up Socrates Brito, because uh, besides having one of the coolest names in baseball, uh, he's just been terrible. So, um, just talk about Eric Sogard instead. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that we're in a position in 2019 that we'd rather talk about Eric Sogard than a guy named Socrates Brito. Blows my mind. Um, look, I would assume that whenever they decide to bring Vladdy up, Brito will be the guy they end up chopping, if not releasing altogether. Um, he's been so poor that in his first Eight games with this team, he has gone. Tw- uh, he's gone hitless in 21 at bats and 23 plate appearances, breaking a franchise record previously held by David DeLucci for the longest hitless streak to begin as a Blue Jay. Couple that with 10 strikeouts in eight games. How long are we supposed to put up with this? Well, first I have to say, I think that this week might have been the most press that David DeLucci ever had in his whole time (laughs) with the Toronto Blue Jays (laughs) because of that stat. But the only guy that's got a bigger streak of hitlessness in all of Major League Baseball this year is Chris Davis. Yeah, (laughs) It's insane. I just can't believe that they are giving this guy a leash as long as they are. Yes, he has some good tools, but he has at best right now, a quadruple A player. And he needs to prove me something, anything, to even be above anybody that should be in conversation for that outfield job. Yeah, if it's not going to be Vladdy, if they want to keep him down to quote-unquote refine his skills at third base, whatever, fine. It's irrelevant now because the service time issue is pretty much over. But how does socrates brito have a spot over anthony alford or even alan hansen for that matter yeah yeah (laughs) so i i like what i've seen from alan hansen at least he looks like a backup infielder to me you know he's been carrying his weight he's been able to knock in a couple key runs and but brito at this point he's not even a dalton pompey that can come in and steal a freaking base And, you know, I don't get it. It's just it makes zero sense. And if it came down to a point right now and I don't know if this management would do this, Dalton Pompey is available to come off the IL, right? That's true. Do you keep him or do you keep Burrito? I really feel like they're going to end up keeping Burrito out of that conversation, even after Pompey's good spring. Do you think that's due to stubbornness or the fact that they've traded the longest tenured Blue Jay at that time in Kevin Pillar? In other words, do you think that they don't want to recognize that there's a whole bunch of egg on their face? I really think the fact is they just see something in Burrito that we don't and we'll never probably ever see. I just, yeah, he needs to go down to the minors. And right now I don't see who the hell is going to pick somebody that's Oh, for what? 27. You said, uh, Off 20, of the waiver wire. yeah. Oh yeah. He's gone hitless in his first 21 at bats in 23 plate appearances. There's nobody in major league baseball. That's picking up an outfielder like that 
to fill up an outfield spot right now. It, yeah. It's not scoring Dwight Smith Jr. gold by the Baltimore <laughs> Royals right now <laughs> if true. you pick up Socrates Brito. And I've been, no offense, I want to kind of keep calling him Socrates like I've been doing because I don't think he deserves that name. I'm going to Bill and Ted him. Yeah, that's true. There you go. <laughs> um, it just it just shocks me because what this is, with this message that they're sending, they being the brass, um, this year isn't about winning. And I know that we sort of known that in the back of our minds, and we like to convince ourselves that there may be a glimmer, glimmer of hope that this team could overachieve. But having a guy that's performing so poorly, so poorly, um, you can't convince me that he can contribute anything to this team right now. And moreover, you can't convince me that a guy like Anthony Alford doesn't deserve a spot on this roster over Socrates Brito. He just, you can't convince me of that. Alford, as we've mentioned, is perhaps the most athletic member on this entire 40 man period. And the fact that he is not up with this club right now, even if his role is minimal is just baffling to me. Yeah, and just to put that in perspective, what you said there as far as athleticism goes, that's in the same conversation, including Vlad Jr. on that conversation. Yes. Yeah. It, the athleticism for Anthony Alford is insane, and it, the rest of the baseball stuff is going to happen. The biggest problem I have with what's going on with all this stuff, the Blue Jays kind of felt, at least how they sold me, being a minor league enthusiast, right? We are going to run with whoever the hot hand is at every position on this roster. And we are going to make it work to the point where we can win ball games. Having three players take up 25-man roster spots just because you want to hold on to them is very pissing me off. And I'm already calling out Elvis Luciano, Brito, and Alan Hansen in that category. Yeah, it just seems that you know they're trying to do everything that they can to justify the trade of Kevin Pillar. Um, I, I don't know if it's because there was some fan backlash when it came to it and they're just trying to do some damage control and they don't realize that they're making it worse for themselves. They're really sort of exacerbating the situation and not mitigating it. Oh, by what? Making it look like you're actually literally holding on to a dumpster fire? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the guy they wanted was the minor league pitcher. but Paulino. Yeah, I mean, sorry, yeah. DePaulo. DePaulo. Yes, DePaulo. Yeah. And that's the guy you went after in that Kevin Pillar trade. These other guys were literally on the waiver wire. They were going to be free agents probably in the two weeks anyways following that trade. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that if you're if you're trying to you know maximize the potential of the players that you have and that are going to become part of this Blue Jays identity for the future, that being the Anthony Alfords or the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors, you sort of have to give them the chance to prove it in in the majors, right? Like you need to. It, this is sort of like a side argument, but. It's along the same lines. Like, they aren't giving their young players enough of a chance, I feel. I don't know if this is a Montoyo thing or a front office thing. But for me, like, for instance, Luke Mealy is getting way too many starts behind the plate. Like, if, if you label Danny Jansen as the starting catcher, he should be dominating the starts. It shouldn't be this, like, even split amongst them. I know he's struggling at the plate. And it is an even split, it feels like, yeah. at this point. You know, like, I know Jansen's struggling at the plate, but at the same time, how are you going to get better if you don't play? Yeah, and the fact that he had to learn a whole new pitching staff, it, it that one just doesn't make any sense to me. Maley didn't even know half these guys. Yeah. So the balance is not a needed reason. I could understand maybe giving Trent Thornton to Luke Maley every week just because of the you know the fact that Thornton wasn't around in the same time frame as Danny Jansen and everything in the minors. So it's just kind of, the it, it might as well give him the guy that's a little more experienced is all I was thinking. But the fact that, like we were talking about a minute ago, and I'm funny enough, I'm going to come full circle here to my terrible joke to start this piece off. <laughs> Eric Sogard actually earned a job with this team yes. right now. He had yes. a really, really good time with the, the AAA Buffalo Bisons. Not the most flashiest numbers in the world or anything, Adam, but the fact that he every time they needed him to do something, he found a way to do something and contribute to the ball club, even though the Buffalo Bisons are off to a horrific start. Well, we need to have at least one guy that we can call squints on this team, so I'm happy he's an addition right now. And plus, you know, jokes aside, he is a pretty decent leadoff hitter, which I felt like this team was lacking. I love him in the leadoff spot right now, and I don't know what he's done to his bat, this year, but even watching him when he was playing in Buffalo and in spring training this year, he's getting to that ball yeah. really damn quick. 
and he's hitting it today. He laced the ball. That triple he hit, he hit that thing right on the screws. Well, maybe it's uh, it's contributing to the specs, right? And uh, I hope that he's he can continue this. Like history sort of lends that it won't keep up, but at least if he can be average throughout the year, I think that's fine because I don't think Lourdes is going to be someone that you're going to see in the near term. If it, like Maybe I'm being a little too overzealous about this, but it really wouldn't surprise me if they keep him down until September. Especially if Sokard keep, right now keeps doing what he is doing. It, right. it makes it that much easier for him. And right now we might have the biggest overachievement in all of baseball in our middle infield between Galvis and Sogard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what are you paying Sogard? I think it's league minimum. He, he will be making the league minimum because he was signed on a minor league deal. Right, right. It's too easy. Like you can't, you can't really replace that monetary value. And I know it stings that you're having a three million dollar player on the Buffalo Bisons right now. I get it, but if this guy is part of your long term plans, you sort of gotta move forward with them. Um, speaking of the Bisons, I want to move on to Vladdy. We're we're going to consistently on the show do a Vlad watch until it actually happens. Um, I had the opportunity to see him live on Tuesday in Pawtucket for a doubleheader at McCoy Stadium against the Paw Sox. Um, turns out he only played one of the games in the in the first game. It was cold as ice, as I mentioned to you off air. Uh, and it also turns out that I went to the wrong game because yesterday being Wednesday, he hit a bomb that exited the entire stadium into the parking lot. I guess what I'm saying to you is that right now, you know, culminating what we've been talking about with Vlad, it's only a matter of time before he's called up. And if I was a betting man, it would not surprise me if he was called up this weekend in Oakland. What say ye? I'm actually kind of leaning toward my counterpart, my co-host of Jaybird Watchings, uh, San Francisco Giants home opener series game. Oh, wow. Okay. And I think a lot of that's just because why make him travel all the way across the country and then mm. play a couple games and come right back? It, it, there's no rush at this point. They've already clearly proven that. I like the idea that I'd love to see him in that giant ballpark and just right. have fun hitting the ball everywhere because that's the best thing about watching Vlad Jr. hit. It is pure art. He hits the ball everywhere on the field and apparently out of the whole ballpark too. <laughs> um, but he's got two home runs so far since rejoining the team. Mind you, he's only played five games for the Buffalo Bisons right. and he's been insanely good. Those two home runs, both of them were over 400 feet. And it's it's only going to – there's no reason he can't do what he's doing right now in a major league uniform. It is literally just making sure I think he's right after the injury. After five games, I wouldn't be throwing him back in there. I, the only thing I, – I think you and I talked about this previously. The only thing I'm a little shocked about is the fact that he is in that cold weather and having to take days off because he is in the north right now. And it's freaking horrendous. I don't want to play baseball on this crap, and i got to get ready for you know beer league softball in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, I don't blame you. I think that there was a rumor uh, suggesting that he may sp- spend uh, additional time in Dunedin because of the warmer climate. Um, I just didn't know how that would benefit him because he's, if anything, that may hurt him. Yes, the weather is better, but in terms of the competition, he's just going to rake that. And that, if he stayed there long term, I feel like it takes a quite a bit of time to catch up to even AAA hitting. So I, I think that it benefits him, you know, weather aside, it benefits him right now to be with the AAA club, but. I don't know, man. I, the San Francisco pick, that that is intriguing to me because it is a, a homestand and it's only two games and it's Pilar's return. So that's going to be like a loaded two-game series. But it's sort of like in the middle of the week. I feel like the Blue Jays would capitalize. Um, I know the weekend series is on the road, but I just feel like in terms of ratings, they might want to get those 10 o'clock eyes on Vlad. Well, if anything's about ratings and showing on our podcast lately with the uh, Ra- the Raptors and the Leafs doing what they're doing. That's true. Vlad yeah. <laughs> might be must-see TV, but until some of that playoff stuff down, dies down, I don't think the Blue Jays even have a hope and a prayer to fighting with ratings on those two t- clubs. But Vlad and the Pilar thing together, that first off, it makes people forget about the Kevin Pilar thing when you're kind of doing the Donald Trump thing and going, hey, look over here, I'll do this. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I, it's going to happen. And I think they said during the broadcast today that um, Charlie Montoyo is expecting him shortly. 
was the key word, while the rest of the Blue Jays' brass is kind of holding it a little bit closer to the chest. Yeah, I do remember that the assistant GM, there was an interview with him, I want to say it was yesterday, or maybe it was the day before, I'm not sure, but they he's pretty much spewing some bullshit about how they don't want to bring him up too soon because prospects, you know, if you bring them up too soon, they're not ready. They're going to flounder and they're not going to turn into what they, they, you know, have the potential to be. I'm not buying that at all. I understand this is just lip service. They sort of have to say this in order to not get sued later on or to have a grievance filed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like they're just, for me right now, they're just trying to find new shit to say in order to defend the action. Um, And they're being clever about it. Fine. But at the, at the end of the day, man, this guy deserves to be on this club. And I do expect him to hit the ground running right in the beginning because I feel like the the anticipation, the uh, pure adrenaline within him is going to be at an all-time high. But having said that, I do anticipate maybe in like a month's time for him to take sort of a dip. I don't want Blue Jays fan to anticipate him being like awesome for every single month of the season. Like this is a game of ebbs and flows, and I don't think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be safe from that. Yeah, but this is a team that has to capitalize on the fact that you can market Vladimir Guerrero Jr., period, for Toronto Blue Jays baseball. This is the face of the franchise for the next decade, folks. It's going to be fun. Everybody's excited, and there's no reason to be pushing the the pause button on that at this point. Once he's fine, he's healthy, he's ready, just get him off here. It's five games in. He's got three walks and 14 total bases while he's got six RBIs. A mere 412 batting average, man. <laughs> Just insane. I, the amount of production that's in this guy's bat, even if you don't think he can play third base right now, let him come out and work it out with the major league hitters or, and, you know, and the major league coaches because his bat is ready. Put him in a damn DH spot. Nobody else can hit in this lineup anyway. <laughs> right. Right. Man, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, again, when you have a guy like Socrates Brito taking up a roster spot over Vladimir Guerrero Jr., there's something wrong. Something doesn't add up. Um, just, I'd rather have Andrew Giat or somebody <laughs> like that up in that spot. Oh, wait, sorry. I love Andrew Giat, but uh, he's not going to pan out, I don't think. <laughs> just like lending credence to what you just said, though, about how this you know young team is going to be fun when it happens. Just um, envision an infield of uh, Vladdy, Bo, Cavan, and Rowdy. Like For me, that like if Rowdy can get right and he can hit consistently for power, that's fun. Yeah, Rowdy Telez is the next Justin Smoke for us. We've loved watching Justin Smoke for the last few years. Rowdy right. Telez has all the makings of being the offensive equivalent and maybe, maybe even ecl- eclipsing some of Justin Smoke's faults. Justin Smoke is a guy that, you know, has danced and flirted in his Blue Jay tenure with a 300 line a little bit. But watching Rowdy Telez and how selective he can be at the plate and making sure he gets a usually the last couple games have been a little bit of a downside to this, but watching him throughout his minor league career when he has been right, he gets the right pitch to swing at, and he will push that number around 300 for a batting average and probably knock her out 20 home runs every year. That's good. It's very good. And like you know, adding Danny Jansen if he can get right offensively, this team is solid for years to come. Like, the outfield is sort of up in the air. You know, you do have Chuck pretty much long-term, and Anthony Alfred, I think, is part of their long-term future plans as well. But I think that left field spot is a little hit or miss. I don't know who's going to be, like, in the long-term going to be part of that. I think you can cherry-pick a lot of players, but those uh, seven guys, at least, are going to form the identity of this Blue Jays team. And I think that's that's a positive thing. Oh, having that up the middle, how many teams can even boast that they have that many prospects in their system to even say, hey, this is our infield of the future? It's crazy. It's insane. It's, yeah, as a Blue Jays fan, I don't remember a time where I've been anticipating such a high quantity of prospects coming into the system. And so I think I mentioned this to you before. It's always been like one or two players that we're looking forward to. This mass quantity of players that could literally be an entire nine-man roster. I have not seen that. And it's very exciting as a Blue Jays fan. And out of those onesie twosie project or prospects that you were just, you know, mentioning there, how many of those were just shoved down your throat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> These guys Remember. are not being shoved down anybody's throat. They're that talented. I watched it. I've witnessed it myself watching many, 
minor league baseball games. And there's a reason I've been infatuated with minor league baseball, everybody. This core that is developing is going to be something special. We are going to be the, like, run of the 95 Yankees, the 2000 Red Sox. Yes, I unfortunately had to say it. <laughs> but this that's the kind of core that is assembling. And then when you can talk about having those, that left field conversation that you were just talking about, Adam, go out and sign somebody. Exactly. Plug that damn hole. You've got no money on the books two years yeah. from now at all, other than Randall Gritchick. <laughs> yep. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's... Like I said, it's exciting, right? Like I, I always reference Brett Wallace. Like Brett Wallace was this guy, this prospect in the system that we were like, all right, he's the next guy, and all of a sudden he's traded for Anthony Ghost, and I felt like the the future of the Blue Jays was just over. It's just, it's what do we have? We have nothing left in the bank, right? Now you don't have that problem. Now this prospect farm system is just so rich with talent that it's like we've mentioned this term before. It's like an assembly line. Like if something breaks or something doesn't work out, you always have replacement level talent to come in and to f- prosper in the system, whether it be AAA system, AA, single A, or even the majors. You still have these players to sort of mitigate the losses. And that is something that I'm completely unfamiliar with in my adult fanhood life as a Blue Jays fan. Oh, like the fact that if we had Sogard or Galvis get hurt right now, we could bring Richard Urania back up that was on fire, who was yeah. also missing a roster spot in this equation. Um, then it, I, I always think it's funny that you go to that Brett Wallace thing because my go-to is like Alex Gonzalez and yep. Russ Adams because we Russ were being Adams. sold the freaking shortstop of the future, just like the catcher thing for a million years. My other favorite and my other go-to, Ken Huckabee. Oh, man. <laughs> now, oh. now, question, what's the most fa- famous thing that Ken Huckabee ever did? Oh, I don't know. Go ahead. Took Tell out me. Derek Jeter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not many people say they can do that, right? My yeah. f- Friends at my fantasy baseball league never let me forget that one. They're like, oh, the Blue Jays fans are here. Ken Huckabee, boo. These are all Yankee fans. (laughs) I just remember the days of, like you mentioned, Russ Adams, Mike McCoy, like Corey Kosky, like these players that, like, yeah, some of them were And then after all those guys got hurt, Frank Manichino. Yep. You had no one. You had no one, right? So, like, having these players come up, to put a bow on this conversation, having the players come up in the system – um, it's going to be fun. So, like, I know patience is something that a lot of Blue Jays fans don't have, especially those that jumped on the wagon in 2015. If you're if you're still here, hang on, right? Because right now, I, I, this is reminiscent. You mentioned the Yankees. This is reminiscent to something that I said to a friend of mine a couple years back when Aaron Judge and uh, Sanchez were making their rise to the team. This is before Giancarlo got traded last year. I said, now is the time to pay attention to this Yankee team. They're not going to push the envelope, but they just might. Like, on paper, they're not going to be this, you know, breakaway team, but they just might be. You just never know. And you want to be familiar with these young guys now because if you jump on later, you're going to be called these, like, bullshit bandwagon fans. So pay attention right now while you can and watch them develop. That's the most fun thing about this team is that you're watching these kids develop and turn into things. You're not jumping on midway through when they're, you know, pretty much blossomed into these stars. You want to watch them develop because once you do that, you feel like you're pretty much part of the team all the way through. Yeah. So I, you you mentioned that Yankee team with the new the new core, right? Mm-hmm. Think of the, the their insane run core. It all contributes back to four guys that they grew on their own: Jorge Posada. Mariano Rivera, Derek Cheater, and Andy Pettit. Boom. We have a four group right now that could run into that. That is a purely, purely similar Adam with Danny Jansen at catcher. We got a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that can be the shortstop, you know, equivalent of or the third base equivalent of uh, Derek Cheater. And we might be lacking on the pitching side a little bit, but there's still some guys there on that. But that infield you were just alluding to with Boba Shett and then Anthony Alpern might be the other guy or Nate Pearson or somebody like that, but it's there. And then that's not even talking about Stroman Sanchez or any of these other guys that we might be able to hold on to. It's crazy to think about, man. You know, like I, I was right. You even have Bernie Williams in that system, right? Like you, you have, you always got to have somebody like Bernie yeah, Williams. Yeah. And they, they, they contribute 
they contributed very well. Like that's an understatement with that Yankee team. Just think about the possibilities that could be achieved with this Blue Jays team. And funny enough, I didn't even think of that too because in all reality, Anthony Alford is an is a really similar mm-hmm. type player mm-hmm. to Bernie Williams. Relies on his speed and his legs to get the work done, but has plenty of you know other threatening tools and good pop in defense to be very, very good. Yeah. I mean, like when you mentioned Richard Urania, I was almost going to smack myself in the face. I'm like, how do we go through the show without talking about Richard Urania being sent down? Like, it's true. Like there's such a plethora of talent that it's really hard to keep up with everybody. So like having said that, it's really fun to have this system so clogged. Yeah. And honestly, I think that that shows the one thing about the lease that the Meyer leagues are, kind of ready to go on giving some guys that could contribute on a hot hand basis. Urania got sent down, but they didn't turn around and bring him right back up. They rewarded Eric Sogard mm-hmm. for doing really, really good. So they, and they had to do a roster move. Ryan Barucki had to be moved from the 30, the injured list on the one day to the 60 day in the injured list. I don't even know if it's 10 or 15 anymore as they keep changing the damn name. It's 60. <laughs> 60 he got tra- I think he the he's eligible to come up late May which is the time frame he was on anyway so why not reward somebody like Sogard for his efforts you're going to have to make a roster move at some point between Burrito and Hanson <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> that you'll make room for Baraki again uh, all right let's move on from that let's uh, sp- on the same lines of Sogard let's uh, predict the the outcome of the next two series they're going back to Oakland or at least Sogard is so um they have a three-game series against Oakland for the weekend, and then they have a two-game set against the Giants. Um, I think that they have a shot against the A's. I know the A's have been very hot at the plate, and additionally, they just extended Chris Davis, who is now the new Crush Davis in the MLB. Um but the pitching has been iffy, and it was announced, I want to say yesterday or maybe today, I'm not sure, that Estrada will need some time on the IL due to back issues. What a surprise. Um, but you, all too familiar to Blue Jay fans, right? Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> but they have Stroman, Shoemaker, and Sanchez going against this A's team. And I know, like I said, this offense has been hot, but when you're going up against those three pitchers, especially someone as hot as Shoemaker, I think the Jays have a shot to take two. What do you think? I think they have the, the first two. I think they're the best chances because the best pitcher right now for outside of Estrada for the Oakland A's is Brett Anderson, funny enough. <laughs> yeah, there you, <laughs> you go. Yeah. So, and he, we don't face him until the third game. And I always wonder, you know, he's one of those guys over the years that's had so much talent, but never really put it all together. So I'm wondering how much of this is the, you know, the Kevin Pilarish like skid. <laughs> Right. You know, start off red hot and then something terrible is going to happen. I, I can tell you, Adam, I've had this guy on my fancy baseball team for random <laughs> spot starts, just hoping to catch lightning in a jar so many times over the years just to make a spot start for an extra start during the week or something like that. And I hope for the best. But going through the rest of the series, if the bats are indeed heating up a little bit, they're going to go somewhere where it's going to be a little bit warmer. For the next few days yeah and it could just get it hopefully they show up and take down brooks and uh mike fires and it'll be that much simpler i'm honestly shocked that fires has two wins and has a 70 ERA. <laughs> yeah you mentioned the climate and it's not just that it, i think the the ballpark itself benefits this hitter these hitters especially if they're starting to get into a groove because that ballpark is spacey it is very spacey. It's generous with the space. So I, I think in that aspect, they have the opportunity to take two. And I think that's that will surprise some people, right? Because, look, the A's last year had a very solid season. And I know a lot of people had them pegged to have another additional solid season this year. So if the Blue Jays can come out swinging and take two, I think that says a lot about this Blue Jays squad. The key to this series, man, is going to want hopefully be Smoke, Grichik, and Hernandez continuing to stay at least lukewarm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Our lineup is completely different if at least that imposing piece in the middle is at least moderately threatening, right? We've seen it in most of the wins. One or two or three of them have been finding a way to contribute. Today, we went off and got more runs than we've gotten in like a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because the three of them were in on it. I'll start off with a Grichik home run, which... To his defense on the whole bat flip thing, he crushed that thing, put his head down, and he, Lenny Dykstra, sprinted that thing to first base. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. 
No. So, but then watching Teoscar Hernandez get hot and um, at least with a couple home run balls, and he's actually had a really nice series. Did he pick up five hits during the series? Yes. Yeah. So, and then smoke's been smoke. So that lineup is a lot more lengthy with some of that fill-in that we were talking about earlier in the show mm-hmm. with those three hitting. Yeah, couple that with uh, Freddie Galvis keeping on going. And I think this this team could be very hot going into Oakland. Um, they're yeah, off Monday. Freddie's the igniter, man. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, they're off Monday, and like I said, they have a two-game skate against the Giants Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, we've touched on this. I think people will be excited because Pilar's returning, and if you're uh, like you, and like Brendan Penicar, your co-host, and for me, if it's in my opinion, he'll already be on the team. But if not, Vlad may be making his Toronto debut regardless. So that being said, they have Thornton and Buckholes slated to start those two games. I'm going to be conservative about this and say the Jays are going to take a split. What do you think? I think it's just because they're both on the same exact level. <laughs> right. right. I agree with the split. Yeah. I think... Um, you and I were texting back and forth yesterday during the game, and Thornton had a rough outing. His release point was just sort of all over the place. Um, I know the rain delay probably had a lot to do with that, plus the cold weather, and it was wet. So I'm going to give him a pass on that. Buckles didn't have his best stuff today. They say it was because it was a midday start. So again, I'm going to give him a pass on that. Um, If I were a betting man, I'm hoping that Thornton, in a controlled environment, can keep it up in Toronto, and I think that's the game they're going to win. Either way, both of them, regardless of what those little things you were touching on there, Buckholtz found a way to hold three runs down today for the Minnesota Twins, who are a very good ball team and a powerful ball team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right? And then Thornton didn't—it didn't get out of control, regardless of those things going on. You know what I mean? So there's still very encouraging things, especially for Trent Thornton. And Clay Buckholz was a pleasure to watch, I thought, today, regardless of those facts that he might not have been on his best game. I I think it just shortened his outing today. Well, if they're going to take two out of three against Oakland and split a series against the Giants, what does that mean? That's three out of five we're talking? That's not bad. Hey, that's uh, the old Cito Gaston... uh, baseballism you win series as you get to the playoffs <laughs> that's right yeah you know and this would be this if we're correct this would be the second series in a row not just the second series but the second series in a row that the blue jays can take so uh that would pretty much put april not end it on a high note because they still have a couple more series after that but at the same time this would pretty much encourage fans going into the next week and hopefully vlad's on this team so you know attitudes would be high with the addition of Pilar coming back and with the addition of Vlad maybe knock on desk being on this team it's fun it's a good time to be a Blue Jays fan I know it's the end of April but hey it could be worse you could be the Boston Red Sox and I'm so glad I'm able to say that you've been holding on to that one this whole show I feel like you were ready to spike that thing there's your bat flip for the end of the night I can't top that, so let's end it here. Craig, you know the deal. First of all, thank you so much for coming on. You know the deal. Promote anything and everything you got going on. Go for it, man. The floor is yours. So, uh, as you are plenty privy to as being a you know more or less partner of Jaybird watching, we uh, we're trying to expand, man. We're trying, you know, we we, we do the morning matches, which are weekday episodes. Uh, just don't, going over what's going on in the Blue Jays system in general. You know what's up. It's meant to be a quick ten minute show in your morning, so you can listen to those in the commutes. We also do the Wednesday Wallop show, which is me and Brendan Panikar, which is my now full time partner on Jaybird watching. It's not going to be just him uh, joining me for one once a week thing he's hoping to have his own show segment whatever you want to call it on jaybird watching as well and just like your stuff adam we can pretty much find uh, this wherever you get your any of your podcasting pleasures from and don't forget to join us on conversations at bird watching gc on all social media i highly encourage anybody listening to this that is a blue jays fan why else would you be listening to subscribe to craig's show there will be a link to the show in the description box so all you have to do is just click there click on the link and hit subscribe that's all you got to do if you're listening on itunes or if you listen on anything else it's right there um yeah i highly encourage it it. you literally click the subscribe button once all those wonderful shows that we were talking to under the you know jaybird watching conglomerate (laughs) yeah it's all one-stop shopping 
I highly encourage anybody that uh, is looking for Blue Jays content and is thirsty for Blue Jays content to subscribe to your show. Um, you and Brendan put in a lot of hard work. You put your in a lot of hard work, almost er, basically on a daily basis during the week to get everybody caught up to date on Blue Jay stuff. I applaud your efforts, man. It does not go unnoticed. So everybody, I encourage you to follow Craig and the Jaybird watching uh, Twitter feeds. They're must-follows if you're a Blue Jays fan. Uh, Craig, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I know you had some stuff going on during the day, but I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to the show, and uh, we'll do this again, man. Thanks for coming on. Anytime, my friend. I love having our chats. Hopefully, we get to have a few beers in person at some point in the near future. Hell yeah, man. All right, man. Have a good night. Cheers, bud. listening to the south of the six podcast don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at south of the six and subscribe to our show we're on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify yeah we're everywhere while you're at it if you liked what you heard do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review we appreciate it thanks again go jays and raptors